bought this for you. I lost mine quite a while ago. It's the same thing. Well, I hope so. You try buying the same way each time. That one's a little different because instead of a flat screwdriver and a bottle opener, it has a Thank you much. Well, I thought you might like it. Test, test, test. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yay. Is it good? Cool. Okay. Well, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, we don't have many announcements other than the fact that we don't have the offering box this morning. Starlight is still getting those uh, tithes and offerings direct. But if you brought your offerings with you, you can put them in the offering plate, and we'll make sure that she gets them. And for the time being, continue to send them directly. We have a lot of people who are not going to be with us for a while, and uh, we'll be sending those things directly. Uh, it minimizes the amount of people who have to deal with those things and minimizes risk and she can take care of that continually and she has said that she would. So directly to Starlight, if you can. If you can't, we'll find a way to, to get it down to her. So again, the offering plate if you'd like. Okay, uh, other than that, I don't have many announcements this morning. Uh, does anyone else have any announcements? It's been a while, 11 weeks. Oh, it, so after all the research the elders did during the meeting, uh, we, kept, we did not see the 50 people uh, ex uh, exception for the church. 
We only saw the 10 and kept seeing that number there. And so it turns out it is 50. Uh, the, the, she did raise the, um, the limit of, of people collected in a church to 50. And I think it's only for houses of worship that, that constitute that. Again, I may be wrong because I couldn't find it. We were pouring over. She has over 104 executive orders in trying to find the rabbit trail to get to where we are today. And what she, what's the actual law say about meeting was, and we still missed a big one, because that was one of the hang-ups uh, for us as we did not want to be in violation of the law as best that we could. And so it's 50. And so this morning, we are part of the exception because our church, even if we were completely gathered, I don't think, we, well, we might be pushing 50 at that point. So we are legal. A um, couple things are going to change with the, the worship. Just for the time being, we're going to take things slowly, which I think is cautious, but also the wise and the prudent way to do it keeps people safe. As far as we know, we have an unseen enemy, which there should be no, diff- no change really for Christians. We have always had an unseen enemy. But now we have an unseen physical enemy that we cannot tell if we're carrying it or not. And so we do have many in our church that are compromised. And so you... Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that in just a moment. <laughs> so um, we're trying to protect others, too, whether you feel well or not. We don't know if you're caring or that kind of stuff. And for some people, it might be a death sentence. So we're going to be very careful about those things. Um, the recommendation is not to sing. They only have one church and all the people that I called that are singing this morning that I know of. And they did that in direct violation to what they, they know is already the case. Singing projects your breath at double. So instead of a six feet radius, it's 12. Um, and if you've ever tried to sing with a mask on, as Andrea has been doing for many Sundays, it's difficult to sing. And so it's not exactly advised. So what we're going to do in its place, at least until we hear otherwise, is uh, we're going to have Andrea is going to sing this morning. You're welcome to hum along and read the words. Okay. Well, the Bible says to make music in your where? Heart to the Lord. Sometimes we're not able to sing outright, so make sure that the music is still happening in your heart. Yep. Sure. And that's what we we play. We're going. I'm going to do that this morning. I'll play, and she'll sing. <laughs> then you're already in glory, my brother. Already in glory. Okay. Um, so that's it. Um, we're not going to have a receiving line. We'll try to keep that minimal here. Um, and uh, if you'd like to say something to the pastor, by all means, do so as you're walking by. He does have a mask up here uh, for closer interaction. And, of course, being we have not just his kidney issues. We have health issues that involve heart and, and all the things. As I was looking at them, the things that the people are the most susceptible to, I'm going, we have people with that, 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 and that. As we went on, our church is immunocompromised. <laughs> we have problems. But I am thankful for the opportunity to be here, and we're trusting God to protect us. We just don't want to be putting God to the test by putting ourselves in dangerous positions. So I think that's it in terms of my announcements. So worship might be a bit different, but we're here this morning, and we're thankful for that. It's good to see you. Um, And I know our hearts have been yearning for this. Remember also, there may be another phase. Who knows? We don't know. We have conflicting information, and we may be told we have to go home again. So the time that we're together, we ought to consider to be very precious uh, and spend some time enjoying what God has given us today.
You go ahead and think that, George. <laughs> I can't change the way people think. I can only give information. <laughs> well, at any rate, we do have a scripture for meditation this morning. Uh, it's Genesis 27, uh, verse 6 through 29. Uh, one more time. I don't have the Pew Bible uh, numbers. I didn't have that at home. So Genesis 27, verses 6 through 29. Page 40. Thank you, Phil. 29. Genesis 27, 6 through 
Let's open our service with prayer. Dan, can I ask you to open for us this morning? Thank you. Main standing, uh, 203 in the hymnal. Actually, you're not going to be singing. Go ahead and sit down. <laughs> 203 in the hymnal. I'll try not to sing too loud because I have at least one child says. I change masks because the cloth mask. Yep. Nope. 12 feet. I'm, we might be 12 feet. I'm good. We're all right. 203 in canopy. Thank you. 
The scripture reading this morning is Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. You're welcome to stand as we read God's word. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Um, this is hymn number two in the brown, hymn number two, Come Thou Fount. When I had sent the text out for favorite hymns. I got three, and Shelly was my last one, and it's this, this one, so come thou fount. Number two in the brown. Thank 
something is right. Should we try that again? Let me move it over a little bit more there. Feel like I'm getting ready for a space trip. <laughs> it's already been done this week. Our text is Galatians 2. We have been over the radio or over the internet broadcasting our series on a living faith. And last Lord's Day we studied substitutes for faith that sometimes characterize our skeptical hearts. What I meant by, by was that instead of believing God, uh, we believe in our own abilities and skills as people who know what to do, or so we think. The builder of barns knew what to do when his fields yielded a bumper crop and he had no place to store the extra produce. And we learned that there is, there is the biblical principle of storing in the present for the future day of need, so long as we do not count on or put our faith in the savings account to meet our future needs. That's a misplaced faith. The rich man was wealthy in possessions, but he was bankrupt towards God. He had material goods, but no spiritual guarantee. We trust in our responsible reasoning ability. That's another problem. But often it is not a sanctified reason. What I meant by that is we just use human reason. With the, what we're used to do when, <laughs> to solve problems in our life that come our way. We say, oh, I can handle this. I've had this happen before. So what I'm saying is that being a Christian does not mean we automatically think Christianly. We have to bring every thought subjective to the authority of the Word of God to see if it aligns with the truth of God's Word. Thirdly, sometimes we place our faith in idle concepts of God. In other words, we shape God into our thinking in a way that suits our own values. The God of the Bible has declared himself and one attribute he affirms about himself is that he does not change. By the way, this is why the Bible is so reliable. It says of Jesus Christ, he's the same. I'm reading it right out of Hebrews 11, or Hebrews 13, verse 8. He is the same yesterday, today, and then throws it into the end forever. Yesterday, the past, the present, and forever. He is the same. What does that mean? Well, it means that time does not change Christ. Science does not explain him. 
He does not age. He does, mute, does not mutate. He does not change his mind. He does not alter his plans. Not ever. I mean, if you alter perfection, then it isn't perfect anymore. And he's perfect. He is the perfect Adam, the perfect man that God sent on earth to atone for the faulty Adam who plunged us all into sin. So our task then is to believe in God and not in all these other substitutes for faith. So today I want to consider the subject of feelings versus faith. Feelings, faith. And as we come, let's pray. Our Father, we live in a feeling-oriented society. It's so much so that um, this is the watchword of the day. But it's a wrong way to assess truth. We're such a feely-touchy age. That's what we ask people. How do you feel about this? What's your feeling on this subject? You never ask us that. You tell us to believe and to trust your word. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. Help us to be Christians who are bound to the word of God because if there's anything that's a solid granite rock foundation for living, it's the word of God the immutable word of God that was given by the Holy Spirit. And that we can trust, that we can rest our assurance upon. But feelings, no. So help us, Lord, to sort through this as we talk about feelings versus faith. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as indicated already in my prayer, feelings is the new synonym for belief. It's the new synonym for believe. The first thing of some significance in this matter is to realize that the Bible uses the word feel or feeling in a very sparse way and in a very limited sense. For example, the King James Version uses these two terms, a total of only Ten times. Think about this. A Bible that contains literally thousands and thousands of words uses the words feel or feeling, King James Version, only ten times. One of which is in our text. Where Isaac asked to feel the arms of the person he thought he was addressing. Esau, because Esau was a hairy man a man of the field, a hunter, whereas Jacob, the younger son, was smooth-skinned and a herdsman. Isaac was blinded in his old age. He could not see to distinguish between his two sons, so his solution was to feel, NIV says, touch the man's arms. Now, you can see right away that how the word feel is being used. It's being used in a very physical way. Feel the arms, not in an emotional way, but actually touching to see 
Is this Esau or is this Jacob? Now the significance of the King James limit use of the word feel or feeling tells us that this terminology was not in vogue in the 17th century as a description of what people were thinking about an issue. This remained constant for centuries. You would never hear a person in the days of Spurgeon's England ask another, well, tell me how you feel about this. They, never, they didn't talk that way. Now fast forward to the 20th century. I might say to the 1966 paraphrase Bible called the Good News. Remember the little Good News Bible? Usually came out in paperback. It wasn't really a translation. It was a paraphrase. They just kind of took English language and tried to make it sound biblical. Well, the Good News paraphrase uses the term faith or feelings rather 25 times, so a little more than double the usage of the King James. In 1984, the modern English NIV translation hit the shelves, but again, the NIV only uses the words feel or feeling 21 times. And then the recent English Standard Version of 2003 uses this term but 15 times. Are you getting the picture? 10 times, maybe 21 times, 15 times. See, what's the point? Well, just this. Modern English translations, whether they're old or new, seldom use the terms feel or feeling in any kind of a theological context to determine the basis for actions. Well, I feel I need to go to the Bible conference down in Ohio. Well, I don't feel like praying today. I'm so discouraged. My feeling is that the church needs to concentrate more on prayer and less on programs. So we speak. I don't feel like going to church today. I have a headache. I don't feel like I'm saved. I struggle with ongoing reality of salvation every day. And on and on we speak. Have you noticed that there has been an explosion not only in the use of the words feel and feeling, but in the concept that feeling must be the criteria by which we make life's decisions and order our actions? Statements are made like, well, if you don't feel like doing something, then don't. You might have said that yourself to somebody. Or again, don't deny your feelings. Or the corollary, don't go against your feelings. Or what about this one? If it real feels right, then it's right for you. All of this plays a vital role in destroying, destroying now, the reality that truth is objective, that it is absolute. That it is true, if, it, if something is true, it is true for all, even if they do not accept it as such. Our feeling-oriented society has invented the lie that truth is relative. That is to say, it's flexible, it's pliable. 
So we have statements like, well, that's true for you. Well, or we might hear, each of us must find his or her own truth. I've heard that one. Well, let me tell you, if this notion, feelings rule, did not come from the Bible, from God, from where did it arise? Well, it came from the mid-century philosopher and psychologist William James, who wrote an essay. The essay was entitled, The Sentiment of Rationality. Hmm. This was prior to his work, The Principles of Psychology. Oh boy, we're in trouble. He was influenced by Dewey, another philosopher. And the philosopher James Dewey writes, The philosopher will recognize the rationality of a conception if something is true or believable. Okay, that's what he meant. As he recognizes everything else, by certain subjective marks with which it affects him. And when he gets the marks, he may know that he has got the rationality or the truth. End quote. These marks include strong feeling of ease, peace, rest. I'm still quoting him. And a feeling of the sufficiency of the present moment of its absoluteness. In other words, it's truth for you. Did you get all that? <laughs> I didn't get all that. It's gobbledygook. That's what it is. Again, he said, the conception that awakens the active impulses or satisfies other aesthetic demands better than the other will be the account of the more rational conception that is the truth and will deservedly prevail. Now, you say, I don't understand a word of that. And I agree, I don't understand a word of it either. If we were to put this, however, in modern parlance, Mr. James is saying, if something moves you, excites you, whatever satisfies you with a strong feeling of ease or peace or rest, that is rational for you. It's reasonable thing for you to do. And it deserves to prevail and to be the basis for the way you think or act. But you see, it's very subjective. That's you. May not affect me. What you feel, different from what this person feels. It is the modern philosophy, if it feels good, do it. Or some other derivative. If you feel it's right, it, it is right. Hmm, okay. Or what about this one? Trust your feelings. Or again, don't deny how you feel. This just doesn't feel right. You see where we're headed in all this. 
How a person feels emotionally about a given topic becomes the basis for how that person will respond to all of life. So truth becomes a matter of discovering your own feelings on a matter. Truth is not objective in this, in this scenario. It is subjective. And that is why the push is on for tolerance of diverse views. Well, don't be so narrow-minded. Realize that what the truth is for you, what makes you feel at ease and peace and rest, may not be what makes the next person feel the same. You're entitled to your feelings, but so is the next person entitled to his or her feelings. And we must satisfy our feelings about things above all else. Oh boy. Feelings rule. Not some notion of objective truth. What I feel is right, is right in this scenario. Maybe not for you, but for me. So let me be you your space if you allow me to have my space and these people are feeling their way all the way to hell because they will not upset or accept objective truth that there is such a thing that's true for all times not just how they feel about it Well, I feel there's no such thing as hell. Okay. So, there must not be anything like hell. The feeling becomes the reality. So that's the next point, that feel or feelings are Sensory motivations, they're not cerebral. Huh. It's Friday morning, the start of spring break. The kids have been in school all week. It's a day for them to sleep in. It's a day for you to sleep in if you have kids. But it is the start of your vacation. So you know, these are the facts, you know that if you do not make it past Detroit before 8 a.m. in the morning on your way to South Carolina's Myrtle Beach, you will be delayed by hours. This is something you know. But the kids complain, ah, and you sympathize with their lament, but I don't feel like I'm getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Well, do you go with your feelings or with what you know will be a bottleneck in Detroit? William James would say, well, go with your feelings. Because what is important is that you be at ease, at peace, and at rest with your decision. Forget the cerebral, opt for the emotions. And to support these feelings, we then add a host of rationalizations, which also make us feel better about our decision to travel later in the morning. We say things, well, like, 
Instead of heading out at 5 a.m., if we wait till 9.30, the traffic in Detroit will be less congestive because the rush hour will be over. The kids won't go cranky in the car because they will have had four more hours of sleep. It's more pleasant to travel in daylight than in the dark. And we begin to rationalize our feelings. Beloved, feelings is not a thinking man's game. It's not. Feelings have no rational basis whatsoever. They have to do with the senses and the emotions. Whether you're sad or glad, happy or mad, pleased or put out, sickly or feeling well. They are fueled by sight and sound and touch, your perceptions, your sense of well-being or danger as the case may be. That's feelings. And the fallacy in all of this is that truth, being absolute, because it comes from God, does not appeal to us on the basis of how we feel about a given topic, but on the trustworthiness of the God who has spoken, the God who never comes to us and says, well, how do you feel about this? No, he always comes to us and says, this is how it is. Obey and you will be blessed. Disobey and you're in trouble. Well, what gives God the right to tell us how it is? Well, he is the all-knowing creator of every man, woman, and child. And for us who know him through the forgiveness and grace of Christ, he is our Lord and Savior. That's who he is. We therefore live to please him, not ourselves. We set our feelings aside, knowing how untrustworthy and how fickle feelings can be, and knowing that our feelings about life are influenced by sin and society and circumstances and past experiences and a whole host, a whole host of unreliable criteria that shape those feelings. We best know that about. I think it's even fair to say that how you feel about something today may very well change by tomorrow. As circumstances change, we change. But should such perceptions then become the basis for what we say and do? I don't feel like You know, God does not call on us to feel that what he tells us is right. He doesn't. Instead, God calls on us to believe what he told us is right. Even if we don't feel like listening. This is our only course of conduct that will make us holy like God and without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Jesus prayed to his Father on our behalf. Let me read it for you, a short prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, verse 17. 
Now that brings us to our account of Isaac, Rebekah, and God's word. And here we have a lesson in this Old Testament couple about how it's possible to be led astray by our feelings. God's declaration concerning this couple's children was this. The older, the older child, will serve the younger. Well, what's wrong with that? Jacob and Esau were twin boys, born to Isaac and Rebekah. But prior to the birth of these boys, God made a determination about them which smacked at the human convention of the day, which was this. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Genesis 25, verse 23. Uh-oh, uh-oh. This is unheard of in Oriental society. Say that again, Lord. The older is going to be submissive to the younger squirt? No, 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 no. That's not the way we do things around here. The older sibling, even by a few minutes, as the case of these twins, before their birth, had the birthright to become the head of the clan and the ruler over the family. Done deal. Period. That's the way it is. That's the way we do things, Lord. Don't you know? This was always the rule. The older supersedes the younger. I mean, first is first, right? (laughs) You can't change that. When Jacob in later life wanted to marry Rachel, the younger daughter of Laban, He learned this lesson in a practical way when Laban switched daughters on him. You know the story. And he ended up unknowingly marrying Leah, Rachel's older sister. (laughs) How could that happen? Because they wore veils. And the bride was all veiled, shrouded in wedding garments. indistinguishable from Rachel. So he ended up being tricked by Laban, married a woman he didn't love. And when he protested to Laban that Leah was not for the one for whom he had bargained, Laban said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Genesis 29 verse 26. Too bad, this is our rule. We don't marry off younger before the older. And so God's declaration concerning Jacob to rule over Esau did not set well with Isaac. Oh, it set well with Rebekah because she favored Jacob. But Isaac favored Esau because he was a what we would call in our society a man's man. Esau was a man's man. What do I mean by that? He was the hunter. He was the man of the field. A mighty man with a bow and arrow. 
He was hairy like a woolly mammoth, lots of testosterone flowing through his veins. In our day, he'd be the guy that <laughs> snowmobiling in the winter and dirt riding bike in the summer, shotgun shooting, chainsaw ripping, yeehaw, a mountain man. Kind of guy who would take on a grizzly bear with a pocket knife in one hand and a popsicle stick in the other. That was Esau. But Jacob, oh, Jacob, <laughs> oh my. A stay-at-home mama's boy who liked to sell, uh, sew and cook and clean house and plant flowers and sing songs in the shower. I, Isaac was going to have none of that as the head of the clan, no matter what God said. So in stark defiance to the clear word of God, Isaac in his old age, now blind and unable to see, said to Esau, verse 2, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go to the open country to hunt for some wild game for me and prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Genesis 27, verse 2 and following. And even here we see Isaac setting his teeth against the revealed will of God, right? By appealing to his senses, in this case his taste. Prepare for me the kind of tasty food I like. So that I may give you my blessing. Whoa, whoa. Give me the right food, feed me right, and I'll bless you. I'll bypass what God wants done. If you just give me a good meal. This blessing, brethren, was the bestowment of spiritual headship for the clan. That's what the blessing meant. And Esau sold his birthright to Jacob months before for a bowl of soup, you remember. And God said of that action, I'm reading for it, Genesis 25, verse 34, so Esau despised his birthright. You know what it means to despise something? It means to think of it with little esteem, to view it as <laughs> worthless. And so Isaac was about to bestow a blessing and a title on the very son who thought so little of God and the privilege of leading the clan in the things of God that he sold it for soap. That brings me to thy second point, the treachery of feelings first. Oh, wow. Got to watch this. There's so much more here. Rebecca, no less lacking in faith than Isaac, at this point in her life, she overheard Isaac's instruction to Esau 
And so she took Jacob aside, her favorite, (laughs) and hatched this elaborate plan to deceive Isaac by preparing a goat with the same spices that Esau would use for a game. And thus Isaac would not know the difference when Jacob presented him with mutton instead of venison. She felt God needed a little bit of assistance here. I mean, dare we even think that with Isaac so determined to bless Esau that Jacob, God's pick, would have a fighting chance? No, we need to help God here. She too lacked faith. She had an answer for everything. Oh, there, there, there was one hitch. And that was that Jacob, what he voiced to his mother. Esau was a hairy man while he was smooth-skinned. So he says, verse 12, As soon as dad touches me, he will discover my treachery, and I will be cursed instead of blessed. Good point. Well, Rebecca had a plan for that, too. The goat skin of the slain animal she fashioned into a collar around the neck and gauntlets for the forearms. She then dressed Jacob in Esau's clothing and sent him in to see blind Isaac. Then guess what? The treachery worked. Verse 22, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched, King James Version says, felt him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Hmm. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Genesis 27, verse 22. The context tells us, He then ate some of the food prepared by Rebekah. And verse 27 says, Then his father Isaac said to him, to Jacob, who he thinks is Esau, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. This is the hunter, you see. The outdoors man. What's happening here? I'll tell you what's going on. Isaac is going with his feelings. Yes, literally touching his son, talking to him, verifying that he is Esau. But this is more than physical feeling. Internally, Isaac has always felt that Esau, not Jacob, must be the head of the family. God said otherwise, but Isaac was not about to predicate his actions in this matter on the word of God. His sin is compounded by the fact that even in the deception of Jacob, telltale signs arose repeatedly to alert Isaac, or should have, that something was wrong, but he ignored the signs. What signs? Well, Jacob, as he saw now, came to Isaac so quickly 
with the food prepared the way he liked it that Isaac asked, verse 20, how'd you find it so quickly? Find what so quickly? Well, the game that he shot with his bow and arrow. Is that very likely? Maybe an hour passed. He went out into the woods, came back with a game that quickly? Next, Isaac asked Jacob to come near. Remember, Isaac's blind. Verse 23. So I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. You know, that, 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 that tells me right there that some doubts are slipping in there. He wants to verify the identity with a touch. Third indicator, verse 23, the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Oh, more suspicion. Hmm, that doesn't sound like Esau. That sounds like Jacob. You have multiple children? Would you mistake who they were when they walk in the room? Wouldn't you not, if you couldn't see them, wouldn't you be able to say, oh, that Jared just walked in? More suspicion. Even after all of this, verse 24, he asks again, are you really my son Esau? You can see the doubt, it's there. Beloved, Isaac's reason was trying to break through, but his feelings wouldn't let it happen. Again and again, God was sending Isaac ample signs of the treachery in Jacob and Rebekah's scheme, but he pressed on to bless him anyway. Why? Why? Because he was hell-bent on acting according to his own feelings, that's why. And not the word of God, the word received from God about God's choice of Jacob. You know, our perception forms the basis for a lot of things. Isaac wanted Esau to become the family head, not Jacob. He felt a hunter warrior is a better choice for leadership of the clan than a mama's boy. And by the way, how terribly he misjudged Jacob. What a godly man. Jacob became and how ruinous Esau became whom God defined as I'm reading scripture as immoral and godless Esau Hebrews 12 verse 16 boy did he have it wrong God knew best but Isaac didn't think so so he was willing to ignore all of these indicators just so he could satisfy his feelings on the matter. 
Isaac came to this startling realization seconds after Jacob exited the room. Because in comes Esau with his venison, seeking Isaac's blessing. And when Isaac realized what he had done and how he had come that close to successfully defying the will of God, verse 33 says, Isaac trembled violently. And rightly so. Rightly so. He had come that close to defying God. This shows us the reality, brethren, of the fallacy of feelings over faith. That's the point of today's sermon. The fallacy of feelings over faith. Feelings devoid of godly directives are fickle. Feelings are unreliable. They are emotional reactions. They are devoid of logic and reason and thought. They arise from circumstances. They sway like the wind. Don't you know this about yourself? A wealthy uncle dies and leaves you with $3 million. Oh, you feel good. Oh, wow, this is wonderful. You're elated, leaves you with all that kind of happy feeling. Two months later, the government informs you that they're going to take half of it for estate taxes. Now you feel bad. Money came. You didn't earn it. Taxes went. Paid for those funds. You didn't have to bother with that. But your emotions, your feelings rise and fall with the wave of what is happening in the given moment. And you're not thinking, I still have one million dollars. I just feel so bad over losing 900,000. Life is full of these changes. Get a promotion at work, you feel great, you feel rewarded. Lose your job, you feel deprived, demoted. Marry the man of your dreams, thrilled, elated, happy, bubbly, wow. Find out he snores like a, a, a tornado shaking the windows, keeps you awake all night, you feel frustrated, feel tired from sleep loss. Your child comes to know Christ as Savior, you feel happy, pleased, thankful. Your child is rebellious, unruly, defiant, belligerent towards spiritual things, now you feel sad and injured. And you become jealous of parents whose kids have followed in their footsteps and resentful towards God. That's what feelings are. Now you know God never intends us to deny our feelings. But neither does he want us to place our faith in them as a reliable guide for belief and actions. Don't do that. Our feelings, like anything in the Christian life, are to be brought under the scrutiny of God's word to see if they have value or not. To see if they are Christian responses to life or not. God's word is to inform us of what is true. But we reversed the order and made feelings the teacher of what is true. Have you never heard someone say, I, if you can't feel it, 
It's not true. People talk like that. Isaac and Rebekah did this. On the matter of what son the mother preferred or the father preferred, they both took their matters, took matters into their own hands to obtain what they felt was right. They shouldn't have done that. They had no reason to do that. Rebekah felt God had forgotten his promise, needed a little help accomplishing his will. Isaac felt that God had lost all sense of propriety by choosing the younger son over the older one. Society would not look favorably on that kind of a choice. So neither one placed their faith in the declaration of God. The older will serve the younger. That's God's declaration. Nor did they trust that God knew best. Neither was willing. <laughs> Neither was willing to have their feelings informed by the word of God. Are we any better? You know, there's such a thing as having illegitimate feelings. That your feelings could be wrong. Are your feelings giving free reign in your life? Are they? Are we no better when God has spoken, but his word smacks against the way we feel about the matter? Do you know that how we feel today will change tomorrow when the circumstances change? That's because feelings are fickle, which means they're unreliable. They go with the flow. That's why God does never, he never approaches us on the basis of feelings. Find me a verse in the Bible that says, God commands us or comes to us and says, what do you feel about this? You won't find it. But secondly, on top of all of that, feelings are often foul. So what do you mean by that? Well, they're used by the evil one to make us focus on the dark side of life. And to actually doubt the word of God. He did this with Eve. You will not surely die, he says to Eve, to Satan, as the serpent. And when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, saw pleasing. What is this? This is a sensory titillating experience that trump the word of God. Eve had no business allowing her feelings, her emotions to distract her from obeying the clear word of God. The evil one used her feelings to suggest to her that God had somehow shortchanged her with his command. God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Oh, this is sinister. It's dark. God is accused of lying while the serpent comes off looking like a saint. And Eve felt that it was so. And she bit into the forbidden fruit. And Adam followed her as well. 
Every move Isaac made, every move Rebekah made, every move Jacob made in this whole charade of deception had an evil and dark side, which was to thwart and speed God's agenda concerning his decreed will. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. That was God's will. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Romans 9, verse 11 and following. Jacob was a deceiver. His name means deceiver. You know that, right? He was a liar who received mercy. Esau was sexually immoral man who did not. Neither was more righteous than the other guy. But God may love whom he wants and hate whom he wants since both deserve his wrath. The parents' feelings were foul and they tried to thwart God's will. And finally, we need to understand that feeling is not faith. Feeling is not faith. Faith is obedience. Feelings may or may not be. Have we not many scriptures that command of worship? Sing, O God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. Psalm 68, verse 32. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Sing praises to him, all you people. Romans 15, 11. Faith, then, would be to what? Read a scripture like that. Faith would be to sing. But we often opt for, I don't feel like singing today. So we don't. We're commanded to give of our time, our money, our energy, our resources in the service of God. But alas, many don't do so until unless they feel like it. I ask this question, it's an important question. What if Jesus never went to the cross until he felt like it? What if he never prayed for you unless he felt led to do so. I'll tell you what would happen. You would have no atonement for your sin. You would have no intercession for your ongoing failures. Nor would I. We think with our feelings. If we don't feel it, we don't do it. May God forgive us for such misplaced empowerment of feelings. Our emotions should have should not have that much power over us. We invest them with too much authority. Well, how do you feel about this? 
When feelings trump the word of God, we, ha- we are no different in outcomes than the people of the world who live day in and day out on the basis of what they feel like doing. Some poor Christians say, I don't feel like I'm saved. Let me ask the question, is security of salvation based on how you feel? You feel that way because you do not understand grace. You think you have yet something to contribute and you know your sin. Your guilt makes you feel unworthy, insecure, even lost. I know, I've been there. What should you do about such feelings? You should look to Christ and ask, did Jesus die for me? Yes, no. Fact, fiction. Do you believe he died for you? Yes. No. Faith, not feeling. Is there evidence that your faith is real? Is there repentance of sin? Is there hatred of evil? Is there love for God? Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is your changed life that only God's intervention could do? Yes, no. Is there a love for God's people, a desire to be with them as much as possible? Yes, no. All these things and more transcend feelings because they are rooted in objective facts. So I'm saying place your faith there. Place your faith there, not on how you feel. You know, we all have blue days. I call them blue days. We feel sorry for ourselves. We feel maybe abandoned, discouraged, overwhelmed by life's circumstances and so on. But if we were to order our life on the basis of that roller coaster, and there are people that live that way, and they are a wreck. <laughs> they are emotional wrecks. They can't handle life because they're this manic, depressive, high, low. Instead of the straight, solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his word that we can rest our souls upon. Place your faith there, not on how you feel. Faith asserts what one believes, and where there is true faith, the right feelings will follow. The question all need to ask is not, do I feel it is so, but do I believe it is so? Faith uses its brain and trusts the truth that God has given in his word. I have to say, and I'm sad to say it, that in America, evangelicalism 
has swept across our country through the centuries, the last century or so, and everybody's in feely-touchy-feely-touchy-feely-touchy. And consequently, there's a lot of people who either don't know grace, don't know Christ, or they feel bad today, happy tomorrow. There's no solid, sustaining trust and reality in Jesus Christ. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Our feet are to be fastened upon the solid rock who is Christ. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my feelings aren't going to change that. Nor are yours. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the reality, for the truth of the scripture. It is the solid work. The solid work of Jesus Christ that fastens us to the reality of salvation, forgiveness, trust, faith, hope, assurance, all those wonderful, blessed words and realities. Help us today to rest in those things. What you have done for us and where our feelings are being used by the evil one to frustrate us and stir us up and to keep us in a state of indecision, even maybe fear. Lord, we pray that you will defeat him. Thy word is truth. He can't handle your word. He has to flee from your word. Because he's a liar from the beginning, Jesus said. So, Lord, help us not to follow the liar, the deceiver, but to follow the Lord Christ. Thank you, Lord, for saving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Henry is coming going to lead us on our closing hymn, and that is 271 in the hymnal, 271 in the hymnal. Okay.
wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, yes. You can stand if you would like to. If you'd like to stay seated, that's all right, too. I can't you. can stand if you would like. If you would like to stay seated, that's all right, too. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of love. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Our Father, we're thankful that we have promises to stand upon, promises from God. Blessed be your name, your promises are always true. You never fail, you never go back on them. Sometimes we break our promises as men because we can't control all of the variables made in the promise. Things change. Our health changes. The society changes. Work and circumstances change. The weather changes. All these things are beyond our control. But when you make a promise, everything is just as it's going to be. Because you control all of the variables that might distract or ruin what you declare. But they can't. Because you are in control. We thank you for such security. 
such blessing. Thank you, dear Savior. Thank you for each one out today. I know it was an effort to come, but I pray that you will give each to us a blessing, Lord, for their faithfulness. And may we be people of prayer as we pray for those that couldn't make it out today. In Christ's name, amen. We are dismissed. Can we stick around for just a minute for a small business meeting? I need to turn off the stream. Everybody? Yeah. 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 Yeah.